grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, it's too bad that Jesus' earthly ministry didn't occur in the time of Twitter. Okay, I take it back. I take it back. But here's what I mean by that. You guys are familiar with Twitter, the social media platform, where it's all important that you're able to convey what you want to say in a pithy, succinct way. It used to be just 140 characters. Now it's 280 characters, which means maybe 20 or 25 words. You have to be able to say what you want to say in a simple, succinct way. Bonus points if you can do it profoundly. And I say it's too bad Twitter didn't exist in the time of our Lord's earthly ministry because he would be the master. Our Lord is able to pack in the most profound theology and teaching about the gospel and his work with just a few words and this kind of proverbial power bar almost that we have, for instance, in tonight's gospel. When Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's 85 characters for those of you who are scoring at home. It's a powerful, potent statement. But it can also be a difficult statement to apply. What, what does it mean for us to find our life, to lose our life? What does that really look like? I think there's a danger when we pluck this word out of context to misapply it, a way that it can be dangerous for our discipleship and our life of faith. So what I want to do this evening is to spend some time meditating upon this proverbial statement of our Lord, this power-packed proverb, so that we might, through godly reflection, know how it applies to us in our lives of discipleship, how our Lord would lead us through these words to lose our lives and to find them in Him. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, there's a way of hearing that word and still trying to possess one's life, to be in charge of how you lose your life. Like a professional athlete who decides to throw the game, and all the while, even though they lose, they still have control. There's a kind of losing that isn't really losing at all, because you are still able to say when and where it happens. I came across a headline in the, uh, the parody Christian news website, The Babylon Bee which if you guys have never heard of this, I recommend you checking it out sometime. The Babylon Bee. It's all these just satirical stories. And I saw one recently. The headline said, Christian man, unsure if he's being persecuted as a Christian or because he's a massive jerk. <laughs> you know people like that. You and I, we've never been people like that. But see, there's a way of losing your life where you are still in control. It's not necessarily because of your faithfulness to the Lord. It's just because you choose when and where. Oh, suddenly I am the martyr. Suddenly I am persecuted. Look at how I am laying down my life for Jesus. In fact, this was the, the real problem. This was the beef that Martin Luther had with monasteries at the time of the Reformation, the Middle Ages. It wasn't so much that the monasteries had been a source of, of cultural transmission and education, even farming and brewery. I heard an interview about this recently. Breweries wouldn't exist as we know them today if it wasn't for the monks of the Middle Ages, so we can thank them for that. But Luther's real problem with the monks in the monasteries was that they were touting, oh, we are those who have lost our lives for Jesus. He says, no, you haven't. 
because you got to decide when and where you did it. See, you got to pick the monastery that you were going to be going to and the vows that you were going to take. That's not what Jesus is talking about here at all. It's not something that you and I can have possession of, that we can call the shots and say, well, I'm going to hold on to my life most of the time, but when and where I'm ready, I will lose it for the Lord's sake. I think that this perspective on the Lord's proverb here stems from a misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding is this. We hear this word of Jesus. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We hear that word as a demand. As if Jesus were saying, hey, you better go out there and lose your life for me. And so we start looking around. We say, okay, how can I do it? What do I have to do in order to lose my life for the Lord? But that's not what he's saying. This is not a demand. This is not a calling to lay down all of your nets and suddenly go and become a monk or a pastor for that matter. The Lord may have that call on your life, but just because I happen to wear the fancy getup doesn't mean that I have lost my life in a way that you haven't. See? Instead of a demand, this is more a description of reality. Jesus is saying, this is just the way that the world works. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. They will. You notice that's not a command. It's a description of the way things are. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. They will. They will. And the reason, the reason that it's a description of reality is rooted in our Lord Jesus himself. See, and if we are going to understand this word aright, we need to look first and foremost back to him, how the word that Jesus speaks is fulfilled in his own work and ministry. See, Jesus is the one who truly did take his cross. Jesus is the one who truly did lose his life. Jesus is the one who truly did sacrifice everything for your sake and mine. He and he alone is the one who was able to lay down his life of his own volition for our sake. If we're to understand this word of our Lord right, we need to see it first and foremost as being fulfilled and originating in him. The reason it's a description of reality is because it is the truth about Jesus himself and what he has done for us. That now, as the Lord of life who laid down his life in order to give you and me life, he imparts that life to us. He, he, he transferred us through the waters of holy baptism into his kingdom. And through the gift of the Lord's Supper, he gives you a, a kind of transfusion of life through his body and his blood. But make no mistake, when Jesus says this word, whoever loses his life will find it. He's speaking first and foremost about he himself. And brothers and sisters, once we recognize that, then we're able to hear that word not as a demand, and not only as a description of reality, now you and I are able to hear that word as a promise. As a promise from our Savior for you and me, for all disciples who in the course of striving and seeking to follow Jesus do have to sacrifice, do have to lay down their lives in ways that they never would have sought out or could have imagined, but that come to them. Hear this word then as a promise for you and me. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
you will. I want to give you a, as we ponder, what, what does that look like in our lives as we seek to apply that faithfully? Let me give you a quote and a couple of stories. And the quote is this. It's from the, the famous missionary and martyr from the mid-20th century, Jim Elliott. Have you heard of Jim Elliott before? He was a missionary down to Ecuador and ended up losing his life at the hands of, of the Harani tribe. Incidentally, I can't tell the whole story today, but he died. His wife didn't. She would end up going back, and the entire tribe would be converted and become Christian through their ministry and through their witness of forgiveness and mercy. It's a tremendous, tremendous story. But he had this famous line, this famous quote of his, which he wrote in his diary not long before he lost his life. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot recognized that to, to lose our life is truly to find it in Jesus. So let me tell you two stories of, of what that looks like. One comes from a man, a young Muslim man, whom I was able to meet a number of years ago, named Muhammad. Now, Muhammad was a, a well-educated Iraqi Muslim, um, but he found a job during uh, the um, Operation Iraqi Freedom working for, with a chaplain as a translator. And so my friend was this chaplain. He was a, a colleague, a pastor down in Arizona, and he had Muhammad accompanying him as he was going from base to base, and he was, as he was sharing God's word with the troops, and Muhammad was translating all these words, and as a result of hearing the gospel, having to translate it, work through it, wrestle with it himself, the Holy Spirit worked through that word, and he himself became a Christian. But understand, and you probably know this, that in that culture, in that context, for him to become a Christian was not just like ticking a different box off on a survey. See? For him to make that decision was a death. Very literally, it could have meant his physical death. But in that culture, maybe an even more profound death was the loss of his family, who disowned him. His community, his friends, nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. So Muhammad is absolutely heartbroken about this. He doesn't regret his turning to Christ. He has found his true Savior. And yet he was lamenting this loss of his family. As Jesus said, whoever loves their family more than me is not worthy of me. Muhammad heard that call and followed Jesus. And he experienced this losing of his life as a result of it. But turns out, Muhammad gets invited into the home of my friend, the chaplain and joins their family. He doesn't become officially adopted. He's in his, his 20s at this point. But they invite him to come and to live with them in the United States, which he does. And the word spreads about Muhammad's baptism and him coming to the Lord. And letters start trickling in to the chaplain's home. One, two, ten, twenty, fifty, over 500 letters. This is back in the day of letters. Coming into their home from Christians from fellow believers, saying, welcome to the family. Praise God. We are so glad that you have, have been moved by the Holy Spirit to be baptized and come to the faith. Know that maybe you have lost a physical family, but you have gained a spiritual family that transcends space, that transcends time. We are your brothers and sisters now. And in that moment, he realizes he lost his life, but only in Christ to find it, to find more of a family that he could have ever thought that he had. 
tell you one more story, even more mundane. And this comes from, from Pastor Tim Keller. He tells a story. Uh, pastor Keller's pastor out in New York City. And he says one day um, after worship, he sees this woman who he hadn't recognized and hadn't noticed her at church before. And so he, he comes up to her. He says, you know, introducing himself. How are you doing? It's your first time here. She says, yes, it's my first time. And boy, is it a story to tell you how I ended up here. Pastors love that kind of thing, right? Like, please tell me, right? She says, well, I work at this big media firm here in the city, in, in New York City. And a little while back, I made this major error, like a major error. And it should have cost me my job. But it didn't. And the reason that it didn't is because my boss took the blame for it. He said, oh, I didn't train her well enough. It's my fault. I didn't give enough, I didn't give enough oversight. You know, don't blame her, blame me. And he had the, he had the capital in the, in the company, so to speak, that he was able to take that hit. You know, it hurt his reputation, but he was well-liked, and he was a senior member, and he didn't lose his job. He was able to absorb that, but it was still, it was still a hit. Well, the woman, she's just floored by this, and she comes into his office, you know, opens the door, sits right down. She's like, you need to tell me why you did that. He's like, oh, please, don't mention it. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I've been around this business for a while, and I have seen countless bosses who have taken credit for things that I have done, but I have never ever seen anybody take the blame for something that I have done. Why did you do that? He said, well, you know, I, I was able to take the hit. You weren't. Don't mention it again. She's like, no, I'm not going to let you get out that easily. What is the deal? Why did you do that? He's like, he takes a deep breath. All right, I'm going to tell you, but only because you pushed me. All right. I'm a Christian. Okay. And I believe that I have a Savior who took the hit for me. And so now, as a leader, I want to absorb more pain than I dole out. And I'll take the hit for others whenever I am able. Okay? I didn't want to tell you that, but you forced me to tell you. And she says, where do you go to church? And that's how she ended up at that church that day. See, there was a man, too who had lost his life, but found it in faithfulness to the Lord. You and I, we don't have to seek it out. Those times come to us. I'm sure they have come to you in your life. But follow Jesus and know that this word that he has given to you and me is not a demand. And it is not even merely a description, but it is a promise for you and for me in our lives of discipleship. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You will. You will.